You're listening to Under a Red Glow, a photography podcast covering the wide spectrum of the art and history of photography with an emphasis on chemical, darkroom, and alternative-based processes. Be sure to visit us at www.underaredglow.com. And now your host, John Milliker Jr. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Under a Red Glow podcast. My name is John Milliker and with me in studio is my co-host and lovely wife, Christine. Hello, Christine. Hello. What's happening? We're, we're keeping busy. Good. We, we may sound a little, a little grovelly. Yeah, we just, just a little bit. We are, we're recording this Sunday night. Yes. Sunday night, the 24th. We, we had a little, I don't know, what do you think? A little head cold? Yeah, a yeah. little bit. And, and we're, we're all okay. We're all better now, although still got a little bit of the grovelly, groveliness to my voice. It's nice and deep. Nice and deep. <laughs> oh, we really didn't do much over the week. No. No. We're, we we've been kind of boring. Yeah, nothing exciting going on. No, so why don't we get to it? Okay. If you're not going to have anything Im- impressive to talk to us about. Oh, I'm sorry. Exciting. Not much is going on right now. <laughs> I can't talk about what's not happening. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> oh, let's see. What's uh, What did we talk about last week? Was that Habit of Grace? Yes, last yeah, we week we talked was a little Habit bit about Grace. Habit of Grace. And I think I also talked a little bit about the 3D camera, 3D printed cameras, right? Yes. And I talked about, and I put it in our show notes, the the link to the 3D cameras by someone named Dora Goodman. And this person put up uh, open source files for a medium format camera that all you needed to do was to attach a back, a film back, and a lens, and and boom jams, there you go. And that actually works really well because what is a camera but a box. light-proof box with a hole in one side for a lens and a hole in the other side, or preferably not a hole, but in this case, a hole for a film back. And I haven't printed any of the one... I, I don't I don't have any... I don't think I have any 120 film backs anymore. I Kind of a confession. I never was a fan of 120 film. I would shoot 120 or 220 as I needed to, but if I can get a, if I can get away with it, I will shoot larger film, or I will shoot smaller film, I'll, you know, 35 millimeter. But uh, I just never was a a giant fan of 120 for shooting for myself. Yeah, I've never seen you do it as much as now, many of the other things. Now, if I'm shooting a job and I I want that extra, you know, I'm, I want that extra information, I guess. And I had I had the budget to to do so, I would shoot it. And if I couldn't if I couldn't shoot you know four by five or or anything anything larger, I would then shoot the one twenty just to be a little bit you know higher res you know quote unquote resolution. But um, yeah, it's it's just never something that I would pick up. I mean, we've got some nice one twenty cameras. Uh, I've got a couple a uh, couple waste finders that uh, that I'm I'm absolutely love. I, there's there's nothing cooler. If you're showing someone for the first time that may have never handled one of these cameras or may have never handled a film camera before, it's kind of cool setting up a a waste finder, handing it to them and kind of showing it to them because it's just there's just something magical about that. Yeah, it is really cool. As the first time you showed me, I still remember how it took me a minute to be able to see through it. And then once I figured it out, it was very cool. It is. It's it's not as cool as, you know, a large viewfinder camera. No, definitely not as cool. Not as a view, you know, like a, a view camera, not a viewfinder camera, a view camera where, you know, you're 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 looking at a, a ground glass on the back of the camera where the film goes, but um, and that's that's cool to set up if you can, or especially especially if we're at an event. There's just something about letting someone put their head underneath the dark shroud and look through look through the camera. Yeah, it is really amazing to watch people's reaction to what they're seeing, especially once they realize it's upside down and backwards. Right. I think the backwards is what really surprises them. It's it's and that's the interesting part. When we talk about the reason we do these events and we show off uh, the a lot of these processes, especially wet plate, wet plate collodion, we we love these at events because as soon as you pour on that fixer onto that plate, it just magically appears. I got. I've got to say, 
letting someone that doesn't know what they're looking at look through put their head under the shroud and look through the camera for the first time that's got to be my number two thing that's yeah. my number two reaction of people is like, oh, wow. I always see people try to get their face right up against it, thinking that that's <laughs> what I'm like. No, no, back up. You'll see it better if you back up. And then right. then they back up and they're like, what am I? What? It's it's upside down. <laughs> right. And it's interesting because your brain is like, okay, well, I'm seeing like a frosted glass with some grid lines on it. Uh, you know, just, just, just look past that and like, oh, oh. And... What are some of the weird things that we've we've been said about? Obviously, Christine said, you know, upside down. And we'll ask people. We'll say, what's wrong with this image? And what are some of the things? They, first, they say upside down. Yes. And I will say, there's two wrong things with this image. And what's the next thing they usually say? It's color. It's, it's color. <laughs> and uh, it's it's kind of interesting how digital photography has our brains assuming how a certain thing is and a certain thing works. Yeah, so if, if the picture's black and white, what you see through the camera has to be black and white, and that's just not how it works. Right. We'll tell people, okay, well, it's it's not that it's in color, and I'll and what I'll usually do is either Christine or I, I'll focus it on maybe, you know, uh, we we have a big canvas tent, and we'll we'll usually set up kind of a sitting parlor and a and a photography studio in that. So I'll usually put the camera out, and when and when I'm not shooting, I will keep the camera at I'll keep the lens open, I'll keep the, the dark shroud on it, and I'll have it focused on our sitting chair or or next to the table. And then I'll say, okay, Christine, or, or I'll run over there and I'll sit down in the chair, and then I'll hold up my right hand, and then we'll ask them, okay, well, what? look at him, and now look at, look at him through the camera, and then they, they get it pretty quickly that it's upside down and backwards. Right. And of course, the upside down we can fix. We just can't fix the backwards. Anyone who's seen our demonstrations or has probably listened to the podcast uh, know if if we were shooting on glass, uh, it's not a problem. We can flip the piece of glass over and then you'd be viewing the the emulsion through the pane the pane of glass. Right. Tintype. Eh, I can't do that. And and some of our favorite stories is uh, a couple a couple different ones. And just the one one of the ones we'll talk about is we'll talk about Billy the Kid. And Billy the Kid had a tintype made of him and his his gun holsters on on the side that that he would draw from the left and his uh, he's got a, a a rifle with him that's got the the ejection port on the wrong side of this rifle as well and then they thought he was he was a left-handed right and what movie came out left-handed gun in was that 1953 I think it was 68 68 Okay. I'm I'm a little rusty. I I haven't I haven't been able to go out and and talk at cowboy events uh, or or Civil War events in in a little bit of time, but right. I'm pretty sure it's 68 with Paul Newman, and uh, it, it's kind of interesting because for the longest time, you know, think about this entire production of the movie. Think about everything a movie has to go through, and especially when you're filming the movie. Uh, at what point do the photographers not realize, oh, wait a minute, this was in the 60s. So how come the photographers didn't realize, okay, well, you know, maybe maybe this or uh, – and, and my favorite thing is the, is the gun, uh, the, the firearms experts right. on, the, on, the, on the crew. Back then, you'd, if you were left-handed, they didn't make you a left-handed rifle. It would have cost too much money to do that. You learn how to shoot right-handed. Yeah. So it's it's kind of interesting. It's it's one of our one of our favorite stories to tell, and and that is because, as I said, with a piece of glass, I can show you your image through the actual substrate of the glass, where on a tintype, which for for modern modern uh, tintype photographers is a piece of uh, Japan uh, not Japan but um, anodized trophy aluminum, but back then it would be a piece of iron that had a Japan coating, and iron is. At least, at least nowadays, I'm pretty sure back in the 1860s, iron wasn't see-through either, <laughs> and uh, so therefore everything was kind of backwards. That's why you'll see a lot of a lot of Civil War soldiers with instead of U.S. or C.S., you would see S.U. or S.C. Right. Backwards. It's right. it's kind of interesting. It's very interesting, but it's the way the cameras work, and you people are like, "How can you focus this? How can you get the picture right? You get used to it." 
let me get back on topic because <laughs> back on track because that that's a, this is a far cry from a 3D printed camera. <laughs> anyway, I was I was printing out some of some of Dara Goodman's 35 millimeter pieces, and 3D printing is is really difficult. With it's not difficult as far as 3D printing is concerned, but the problem is is the way a the way at least our 3D printers work, it it extrudes a small 0.4 millimeter little hot dog of plastic filament, and even with black filament, every every pigment that's in there kind of gets gets stretched out a little bit as well. So the problem is is even though you're using black filament, black plastic filament, and you and you do this, light's going to penetrate a a single vertical shell wall of of this of this pigment of this filament right right so you need to get in there and you need to give this camera so much bulk that it can withstand being out maybe being outside and photographing in the sunlight not not that not that these these uh these cameras had that issue but the problem is they're very they seem over engineered to me okay and one one the 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 base the body base body printed fine the other one needed needed supports, and even though it's still printed okay, now you're getting into printing supports. And what a support is, let's say you're, let's use the the Golden Gate Arch. Okay. Now, you can usually print at an angle. Right. So let's say you're printing the arch. You can probably 3D print the Golden Gate Arch without any trouble because of as you're coming up, that shelf that little that little overhang from one layer to the next to the next as it meets in the middle it's not that great however with this camera there is a piece of the of the top of the camera where your where your dials are supposed to go into and your and your light baffling that needs it doesn't have this it's just a it's just a shelf that kind of comes up a little bit further so that when you print it uh, 5 millimeters maybe 10 millimeters high you've got now a now a of kind of horizontal shelf there that if you don't put any kind of material there it's what, what's the printer going to print the printer is not going to extrude your plastic hot dog in midair right so you've got to print you've got to print supports and and that that's okay but i just really wasn't happy with it i still will probably print the rest of it out that way i can get an idea of uh, you know just take a look at it because it it seems nicely designed it's just that it's it seems over designed and that had gotten me encouraged to go back through some of my old designs and clean them up. And uh, these were do- designs I did a long time ago where uh, I wanted simplicity first and ease of use second. And my first design was actually a two-by-two two pinhole camera. I'm, I'm a big fan of these two-by-twos because if you cut film chips or if you cut paper negative chips, two-by-two two will fit in, in those, uh, those archive sleeves for slides. Right. And I thought it was cool. You know, no one's going to make you a, a specially cut pinhole camera uh, negative or, or, you know, negative archival sleeve. So that's kind of why I always like the two by two design. And I did this. I made a tight fitting lid and it's I, I put another one out. I got one right here. Of course, you can't see it because <laughs> photography podcast with no visuals. But I did post a I think I've posted images of them on our Facebook page. And it's got a nice tight fitting lid. I use the, I use the, the inside actually comes up and it, and it kind of comes up at an angle so that the lid is actually a light trap as well. And it's got a nice satisfying kind of click. See if I can click it. Nice click. It's got a nice five millimeter hole or that might be it. No, that's a centimeter centimeter hole in the middle. So you can put your own pinhole in there. And, uh, and it just got me excited for 3d printing all over again. So we've got, you know, we've got tons of 3D printing filament and it, th- these printers, they actually, they actually were out of commission for a while. And I, I think I mentioned last week that we had, I had spent the week trying to get them back up, back up and running. So they're both back up and running now. And, uh, and I thought about producing some of these and putting them on our, on our Etsy store, but I figured other people might want to, to, to try the designs as well. And what I did was I posted the STL files over on our Patreon and also our supporter Facebook group. So if you want to download a copy, uh, you can become a supporter for as little as a dollar a month, 
and uh, of course we have other other goodies over there as well. But uh, you know, if go on over there and 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 download yourself a copy of the STL, or I may be able to make these. I may make these available on Etsy for. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know really what that's going for. I'll probably end up putting a. Uh, I'll do a laser cut pinhole with it, and then I'll make a. I'll make a template so that people can easily cut two by two chips, film chips for it, and uh, and put that up on Etsy. Etsy for something. And over on the Patreon, we also talk about the settings for these files as well. And what I recommended was you do you need to do some testing, and you need to find out the filament you have. How many shells, how many layers of that filament does it take to stop the, the brightest flashlight you have? And that's what I would kind of go for. And I designed it so that it would, I think it'll do like seven, six or seven shells in the middle from, from the back, back layer to the front layer. It's got like seven different layers there. That way it kind of keeps that, keeps that light out. And then make sure you don't do any kind of infill for it. And, uh, and of course, if, you, if your filament is a little bit different, if you ever have light issues, you can always paint the inside with a coat of black paint or something. Right. So it's been so fun revisiting this that I think I'm, I've, got, I've got several photography things that I, I designed 10 years ago for 3D printing. So I think I'm going to start putting some more of these back up. And I think, that's, uh, I think that's been a lot of fun. Do it. But I, I want to print a couple more of these. I'll put, probably put a couple of these up on uh, Etsy. Etsy somewhere, and and if you want, uh, if you want yours, yeah, keep an eye out for that. We also posted over on Patreon um, the the image of the month is actually a slit scan image, but it's a digital slit scan, and uh, I've I've got the video for it. I'm doing the I'm going to want to do the audio for it after the podcast, but um, I'm going to walk through exactly how we're using modern. It's actually a Python script. It's a it's a Python script, and I walk through how we prepare the video file, take it out, and then and then send it to the Python script. And I talk about uh, because the problem what's the problem with the video file? Video file only has so much height and width in the dimensions. Even if you've got a really nice 4K camera, you're still kind of limited. So I talk about some of the tricks that I use in order to make the the height and the width that much more bigger. Okay. So that the the image that you were left with after the slit scan, it will uh, it will give you a much higher resolution image, and and hopefully hopefully some people know what slit slit scan is. If you've ever seen a, a a photo finish for like a horse race, yeah, that's slit scan. It's basically a camera that has a slit going through it. Right, the lens comes in through the camera. Right on the film plane is a a very tiny narrow slit that is vertical, and as and it's it's wound up a certain speed, and as that light comes into that slit, it's exposing on that film. And if you think of that exposure on that film as one slit, what's it going to do? It's just going to make you a very narrow photo on a piece of film, right? Well, if you keep cranking it, if you keep cranking that roll of film through it, you're going to create yourself a you know however long image you want, and that's how they would do the the, the photo finishes. Because if you think about it, as you're going through, that slit is recording on the film. And as the film's passing, anything that runs across that slit is going to be captured in its entirety. It's really interesting to wrap your head around, which is neat because no matter what direction someone's walking, they're all going to walk to one direction. It's the craziest thing. And some people may walk slower. Some people may walk faster. Faster people walking are going to be skinny and slower people walking are going to be kind of stretched out wide. Slit scanning is really, really cool. The cameras for it are very, very expensive for the film stuff. But there is a really cool Python script. And, and I, I will, I'll share the Python script on, uh, in our show notes. But, uh, but yeah, if, if it's worth a buck, go over to our Patreon. And I'm hoping this week I'm going to put the video up going through the creation of our slit scan image that is our image of the, of the month for January which is what our backers, any backer that, that backs us for $3 or more gets a postcard and we have postcards and prints and darkroom things and, and all kinds of fun stuff. But uh, I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, we also had an, a question from a viewer. Ryan asks us if we can explain stand developing. Okay. Stand developing is fun, um, but it's important to know how regular film developing works first. I think just in case anybody does not know, um, I don't know. How does film developing work? 
Well, you take your pictures and then you put it in a developer, which. (laughs) (laughs) um, Go ahead, Christine. (laughs) I'm trying here, dear. I know you're trying. That's what I'm saying. Go ahead. And what the developer does is it takes the silver from the areas that were not exposed where the silver is not hardened by the light. If I'm correct, eh, it's a chemical. It's yeah, a chemical, it's a chemical uh, exposure. Exposure, and it kind of uh, changes it so that where where it did come in contact with the light, it will darken. Pretty much, the 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 action of light on silver nitrate does take it through a a change, a a physical change. It's typically not seen unless you are shooting. Unless you're shooting solography, maybe, or you're shooting lumen prints where you're giving this this silver nitrate such a long exposure that it it's darkening. It's darkening on its own. And any any darkroom photographer, even if you've never done a solography or a lumen print, if you've either cut a piece of film or uh, not a piece of film, cut a piece of paper, or left a piece of paper on your on your your desktop your darkroom workstation and then turn the lights on. It'll start to darken and darken and darken. Anyway, right. well, uh, the thing about the thing about developing is you're you're initiating that change with with the the light that is hitting hitting the uh, the film or the paper. If you're using paper negatives, or it works the same way with enlarging, but that's a that's a different topic. And then it it enacts that change in order to darken that silver that was molecularly, I guess, it's more molecular than chemical, molecularly changed by the presence of light. Right. Right. And then once that's done, you you've got you've got so much time. The interesting part about that, and and that's the interesting part about C forty one. C forty one is a is a color is color film. If you've ever taken a roll of film, a color film to CVS or or we talked about last week, Costco or Walgreens or whatever, and had had a roll or some of the old photo mats. So shout out to anybody who remembers those one hour photo mats. It it has the same amount of chemistry. For the same amount of time at the same temperature, black and white film is a little bit different, and every stock is going to have different development times for for different development. There's so many developers out there for black and white film, and typically the standard is you know old standard D76, and that's the old the old Kodak standard. Well, the interesting part about that is you can't if you have two rolls of black and white film. Both of them could have different development times, and you can't. You don't want to just kind of throw them in there and average them together, uh, or you don't want to do it for the, the the shortest amount of time because one roll will be okay and one roll will be underexposed, and you don't want to do it for the longest time because one roll will be okay and one roll will be overexposed. Well, stand developing is a little bit different, and <clears throat> what happens is your normal development cycle, you're putting your film in a day what's called a daylight tank or you may have other you may have other ways to do it, but the most the most recognized is putting it in a daylight tank, and and then pouring the developer in, and then every every minute you give it twenty seconds of of agitation. So you're constantly agitating that film. Stand developing works a little bit differently, and what happens is you put your film in there, you pour your your stand developing mixture in there, and you let it sit. Right. And this is very forgiving to a bunch of the different emulsions because as you're stand developing this film, any developer that is on a overexposed, well, exposed to, to black part of your film, that developer is going to develop it and exhaust. Any developer that's on where you may have some of your some of your shadows, you know, remember we're talking about negatives here. So some of the areas where there's not much going on, that developer is not going to exhaust. So that kind of gives a little bit of a checks and balances for your developing. And it's very, very forgiving. Stand developing you usually do for about an hour. It's also very good on the on the wallet because you're using normally uh, you would use mixed up stock or one-to-one like D76, but this we're using Rodnol for uh, one one part for 100 parts of water. So it's a very, very, very minimal mixture of developer. But the problem I've always had with stand developing, though, is what's called bromide drag. And if you ever stand develop something and you see, you know, you kind of see streaks on your image, on your negative, or you see streaks 
particularly from the sprocket holes, that's what's called bromide drag. And what I will do is instead of stand developing in one plus 100 rodinol for 60 minutes, that's one part rodinol, 100 parts water for 60 minutes, with 30 seconds of agitation at the beginning, and then you leave it for an hour, I will give it some agitation every 20 minutes. So I put it in, agitate it, 20 minutes later, agitate it, 20 minutes later, agitate it, and then at 60 minutes, I, I pull it out. And that seems to that seems to work out really well for us. One of the other big benefits for that as well is whenever someone brings to me a a roll of film, they have no idea how it was stored. It's been it's it's really old. They have no idea what's what's on it, but they want the images. My best bet is to stand develop it. And I did this a long time ago. I I had gotten some some four by five negatives. Actually, they were slides. They were E three slides. And I started looking up some of the developing the developer for these E3s, and it's like, yeah, no. And I stand developed them, and of course they came out as black and white negatives, because you can do that. You could do that with C41, E6. You can do that with anything. Develop it in the black and white, and and the images were saved because of good old, good old stand developing. That's cool. So it was pretty cool. Stand, so stand developing is is cool. Um, with film being the price it is today. I, I'm I'm kind of uh, erring on the side of why don't you um, it, with film being so expensive buy you know go to Kodak and or go to your favorite your favorite store that uh, their photo store that still sells this uh, this chemistry get yourself some D76 mix it up if it's a powder don't don't separate it don't try to be don't be don't kind of cheap out like I usually do and and try to try to separate the powders because you'll never be sure if you've gotten uh, a, a perfect mix a perfect uh, division of that powder mix it all up keep it in a, a a tightly stoppered bottle if you put it in a I don't know like a like a two liter bottle or something or or a plastic bottle squeeze the air out to kind of keep it keep it longer but give give the film what it deserves and give it give it a nice development process in there. But if you want to if you want to play around if you've got some really old film stock and you want to try it out give uh give stand developing a try because it is cool. Just don't expect you know. And it kind of it kind of ups your your kind of relative sharpness as well on the film. So it's it's definitely a different look, but so are many of these other developers too. Going to say I think most of the developing I've done has been stand developing. No. No. No, you've I don't think uh I, if you've done stand developing it's only been Certain things. It's only been so like like if like for for if it's something crazy or some of our experimental film stocks. We've okay. got a film fridge just full of experimental <laughs> film stocks, and and I will I will stand develop a lot of those. Okay, I know I've done it a few times. So, but what you're thinking is you're you know developing instead of an hour. We're we're thinking more along the lines of probably seven, eight, nine minutes. Oh yeah. And uh, you know you're taking your and every minute you're going to invert it. And agitate it x amount of times, however long it takes for 20, 20 seconds or so, and and for developing as well, it doesn't matter what your technique is with developing. If you if you wait a minute, agitate for twenty seconds, or or you know whatever, you can download some some nice timers off the i the with the iTunes Store and the Android Store. Uh, what's most important is is just making sure you keep consistency with everything you do. For us, we we invert the daylight tank, give it a quarter turn, put it back down. Invert it, quarter turn, because the problem is you don't want to keep inverting it the same, the same edge of film, because you never know, you never know. Right. So and and always opt for the longer development time. If you can if you can adjust your temperature or you can adjust your your dilution to make that longer, do it. Because if you me- if you mess up on a five minute developer, it's going to be a lot a lot less noticeable on a f- on a ten minute than a five minute. Kind of make sense. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, uh, fil- stand developing doesn't get any simpler than that. But I would I would certainly recommend uh, doing a semi stand, which is which has always been my favorite. Uh, agitate twenty minutes. Agitate twenty minutes. At add, add, you know, and then go. And also make sure you, you know, when you're when you're done, make sure you make sure you wrap that daylight tank on the on the counter, especially for stand or semi-stand developing, because if you get a, a water bubble there, 
Another good thing would be to pre-rinse your, your film. But if you get a water bubble, or air, not a water bubble, an air bubble on your on your emulsion as it's developing, yeah, and you're not getting that back. Yeah, where that hole was. Yeah. yeah so I think that's it. Okay. What do we, uh, I think we're going to talk about cold weather shooting. Yes. Today. And what did, were your exact words about this? Uh, <laughs> shooting in the icy cold dark that is winter. <laughs> Hey, that sounds even better with your deep voice. No, that's nice. <laughs> I am to please. It's no, it's no, it's 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 no surprise that I I absolutely hate winter. I hate the icy cold darkness that is winter. I don't like shooting in it. I don't like going out in it. I don't like it. But there are certain things you do enjoy to shoot in it, but yeah, no, not for long. Not for long. But it's it's definitely something that, uh, especially nowadays, uh, not nowadays, but especially this time of year, it's uh, you know it's it's on people's minds. People need to get out there and, and try to shoot. Uh, so maybe you've got some some New Year's resolutions that you you want to shoot some more this year. You want to get out and shoot, but uh, there are problems. There are problems with shooting outside in the cold, aren't there? Yeah, several. We we know a problem from shooting in the summer in Myrtle Beach. Yes. Um, what was that problem we had we went from ice cold uh place we were staying due to a family member keeping it really cold with the ac we were we were outvoted uh i i gotta say this that's probably gonna be my last time doing that but we were we did this big family house was it late no wasn't wasn't last year it was 2019 Two, two years ago did this big family house and uh and the people that wanted the house as cold as that Poor little air conditioner unit could do. We're on the top floor. It was a three floor house, and uh, and yeah, they wanted this. Uh, everybody voted and wanted the house. I think that I think they had the AC on like fifty eight. I don't. I think only one person wanted that, but for some reason they felt that they had the override. Okay. Well, either way, it was terrible. I got sick. I was never comfortable. And Christine and I, when we go somewhere, we we're we're not sticking around the house. But the problem was, and we had our cameras in our camera bags, right? Yes. We went out to a park, and we walked around for an hour. And it took after, us an hour to get there. After an hour car ride with the windows open. I mean, it's summer. It's summer in, in Myrtle Beach. But uh, after an hour drive with an hour walk around nature. I still couldn't shoot anything. Christine's because lenses were still fogged up. I couldn't shoot anything. Now, now, why did that happen? That's because there was condensation on the cold glass. Well, it's well. Once we went outside into the warm, humid air, exactly. And that's a problem. That's kind of our our number one takeaway for this. We'll we'll talk about some of our other fame, other uh, favorite winter snow and whatever shooting situations, but. That's the big takeaway that we have from this. And this is something we always, we had always teach anyway. But if you're shooting and you're taking your gear from cold to warm to cold to warm, you've got to be careful. If, and, and, and this, the sad part was, is we couldn't go the opposite way. We had to go the wrong way where if you're, if you're shooting outside in the winter and your camera's cold, as soon as you bring it inside to that warm, moist air, everything's going to going to glaze over with condensation. Right. And that's a problem because, you know, electronics and cameras and 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 fungus, you can actually get fungus on your lenses because of this uh because of this excess of moisture. The advantage in winter though is there's a lot less humidity. Well, outside you don't have to worry about it. Right. When it's cold, you have no no worry in the world. And uh technical connections, if you if you ever look up uh, technical connections on YouTube. He just did a really cool video on how humid air works in in the, the cold versus the hot very sciencey stuff if that's in if that's something you're into about how warm air can hold on to more moisture than cold air and right. all kinds of nerdy stuff which is just fantastic and we loved watching it but that's that's the problem right there now some of the ways to get around that you remember you remember one of my my favorite ways christine just uh what is your favorite way? My brain is blanking. Wow. <laughs> when you come in from the from the cold, keep your camera in your bag. Well, not only that, take a take a trash bag. 
Take a oh, trash yeah. bag and wrap your camera up in it before you go inside. Because guess what? Even if your camera warms up, the humidity, human air is not going to get to it. Right. The and if you can, and if you can, another one is kind of keep your back, keep your camera out in the cold. Yeah. You know, if you've got like a like a mud room, something that's that's not as warm as as the living area. You've got a mud room. You've got somewhere maybe outside, maybe in your car in that your you can keep it in your garage where it's safe and no one's gonna no one's gonna mess with it. Keep your cam keep your camera in the cold. Right. Why not? Right. Yep. But uh, yeah, that was that was pretty uh, that was that was pretty terrible. Yeah. And the other thing that you need to think about is your batteries. Mm-hmm. Now you don't leave your batteries out in the cold. No, you need to keep your batteries warm, or they may not work. So what we tend to do is we keep an extra set of batteries in our pocket or close to our body. To keep it warmed up. Slap one of those 98.6 degree heaters on it. <laughs> put it in your pants pocket. Put it, you know, put it inside all your layers. And any any batteries that die when you're out in the cold, I mean, they're you know, they're probably not, de- not dead. As soon as you warm them back up, you'll get a little bit of life back out of them. So switch them out frequently. Mm-hmm. Put that icy cold battery right up against your skin. You may not like it, but oh. your battery will. <laughs> 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 or you could get um, some of those hand warmers. Oh yeah, the hand warmers. Keep it by some of those. Yeah, I guess so. Can you dip it? Can you dunk your battery in a hot cup of coffee? No. Okay. I would not put a battery in a liquid. Yeah, probably not that a good idea. That would not idea, be huh? a good idea. Okay. <laughs> uh, how about else? What about what about keeping yourself personally comfortable and warm? Well, whenever we go somewhere cold, I always make sure we both dress in layers. So we put on our long underwear. And we put on T-shirts and we put on vests and we put on sweatshirts and we put on nice warm jackets. And that way, if you do get warm, you can take a layer off. What's a good What's a good example of that? Oh. What's a, I have no idea, dear. You are on your game today, Christine. Crash. I can't read your mind. <laughs> Albuquerque. Oh, yeah. Albuquerque. If you ever go to Albuquerque for their balloon fiesta, which this year is the 50th anniversary, I think. I know it's the 50th anniversary. I just don't know what's going on with all this. Does it count as the 50th anniversary since last year didn't happen? Did last year not happen at all? I, d- I, I, gotta mean, reach, I could be wrong. I got to reach out to see if uh, some of our old contacts are still there. We haven't been five years? Longer than that. Whew. It's probably been 11 or 12 years now. Anyway, Albuquerque, which uh, the balloon fiesta happens in October, you want to get there super, super early. And we'll probably do a special on this coming up soon because uh, there's a lot of things that we wish we would have known the first time we went to Albuquerque that uh, was was great for tri- time number two and time number three, but uh, time number one kind of sucked. But when you get out there, it's going to be cold. Especially so in the morning. Cold. Uh, you need to get there probably around. What did we get there? Probably around three a.m. two two thirty to three a.m. We slept in the in the parking lot because you don't want to be taking the shuttles in, especially if you need to get out. Right. Maybe follow a chase crew around or something like that. But uh, it was so cold in the morning, and as soon as that sun comes up over the Sandia Mountain range, oh, so much, so much warmer. And I yeah. mean, in the evening, you can go and you're wearing shorts, and then. By the time it's cold, by the time the sun's down, you're back in layers again. Yeah. But that's that's a perfect example right there. Right. So, you know, make sure you're comfortable because if you're not comfortable, you're going to be in a bad mood and I'm, I can't shoot photos when I'm in a bad mood. You need to make sure your hands stay warm so that you can feel them. <laughs> Numb fingers never help you take good photos. Mm-hmm. So gloves and those hand warmers. How do you use pair. your camera? How do you use your camera if you got gloves on? Well, we have... Um, special gloves for photographing that leaves your pointer and your uh, thumb out. Or we have gloves that fold back so that our fingers are exposed. But um, And then whenever we start to get too cold, we close them up. Just the thumb and the pointer? Yeah. You could use the middle one. Be so able to snap open the middle one just for the right occasion? <laughs> I guess if you really need that. <laughs> Not too many people would appreciate that one. That Hey, that's an untapped market. That is a free million-dollar idea, the middle finger unsnappable glove. <laughs> Usually, you for don't those, need that for photographs. For those special moments. <laughs> um, scars to cover your face, earmuffs to cover, cover your ears. Make sure you have a good hat or hood. To cover your head? 
cover your head. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, that's that's pretty good. That's it's definitely definitely interesting. Definitely needed. And and the good thing is is you can always use and you can always wrap your camera up in a bag. We've right. we've done that so many times before where we need to go somewhere and and we'll either wrap a camera up in a blanket and and take it especially our big our big larger format cameras because we know once we get there we've got to you know we want to put something something down to put our bags on. If we're going to the beach, we'll we've got a couple of those beach blankets that way we can put the blanket down and we can put all our cam you know put our camera bags on it and then cover it up from any sand and any windy sand or would it be sandy wind? <laughs> I don't know. But uh but definitely think think ahead of time. Did we have we talked I know we talked about not dipping your camera battery in hot coffee. Have we talked about making sure to bring something something good? We have not talked about bringing coffee or tea in a thermos to keep you warm. Oh. Or hot chocolate. Knowing that a place for hot chocolate is nearby. That's always good. That's one of our favorite things to do once we go photographing in the cold is to find a place where we can get the hot chocolate, hot tea, hot coffee afterwards. Right. Warm yourself up and don't let yourself get too cold ever. And snacks too. Don't forget the snacks. Yeah, snacks are good. So, how about uh, how about camera settings? Well, you what's need... what's the number one problem with with photographing snow? Well, it's bright. White is not what your camera's used to exposing off of. Okay. What is your camera used to exposing off of? Skin or grass colors. Which we have a special name for that. Great. Come uh, on, don't 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 fail me the third time. Come on, I'm 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 beaming over so, the exact terminology right now, even though we have our backs to each other. <laughs> I know gray, um is it my brain's blanking on the word. Three three it's not three percent gray. Is that it? would suck, no. No. Eighteen percent gray. Eighteen percent gray is what your camera is expecting to see when it sees a big snow lit scene. What's it going to do to that snow? Make everything, try to make it darker. It's going to make that snow gray because the camera's saying, hey, I'm looking for gray. There's there's all this stuff in this scene. Well, that must be gray because my my photographer knows what to point me at. <laughs> and and what? how can you fix that? Put negative two stops. Yeah, just, it just um, you know, just go two stops. And uh, it takes it takes white to, to gray. And that's one of those, that's, that's kind of an old, and this is for you know film photography for digital, you can sh- you can just bracket or you can shoot and look at the back of your screen and then bump you know bump up your exposure compensation, but make sure you know how to use your exposure compensation on your on your cameras, and uh, but that used to be an old kind of trick, when uh, we would if you don't have a gray card, and you can get these eighteen percent gray cards in in several different sizes and shapes and forms. So that when you're out, you can expose whatever your light your subject is in. You can expose the same card under the same light, and your camera is going to give you that perfect reading. Uh, but like Christine said, um, uh, green grass is typically it. Uh, Caucasian skin is is typically very close to eighteen percent gray as well. Um, that's that's pretty much it. Once you start having that eye for for that shade, that tonality that you're looking for, you know what to point your camera at. Uh, depending on what your scene is, but you can you know you can ex- you can compensate two stops for that. Uh, you also have problems with uh, uh, now t- to go back. The reason I said that was because sometimes people have used just white copy paper, and that's the same thing. Whatever your camera comes up with white copy paper, you can then do that two stop exposure compensation and be and be pretty much covered. Right. What uh, what is what's another uh, problem that can that can happen in well, outside. if everything is white, you can have the low contrast or if the snow is falling. Yeah, low, uh, like, focusing issues with low focusing. contrast. And that's because, you know, your camera is looking for contrasty areas to focus off of. That's basically how it's working. And especially with falling snow, you've you've got you've got issues with that. So you may need to bounce over to manual focus. Get yourself a tripod. Yes, I know you're already carrying so much garbage anyway. <laughs> Not garbage, but so much crap anyway. Bringing out a tripod to get icy and cold on your fingers is is not fun. But you know, uh, it it just may save it just may save you that day. Maybe you'll get some images that you wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah, and then and then you could t- we could talk about uh, 
you know, shooting shooting fast enough for snow or shooting slow enough for snow? Do you want do you want the snow in your scene to be uh, pretty much as as invisible as you can, or do you want to kind of emphasize it with maybe a little bit of movement? That's my favorite thing for snow. Just like with running water, like in other times of the year, right? It's the same ideas. Um, I see you've got a note here that uh, we sh- we really should have put up when we first talked about it, which was uh, let your camera warm up slowly. Yes, and that's that is very important because let's say you're you're out shooting and you've kept your camera in the garage or you kept your camera somewhere and somewhere cold so it doesn't it doesn't immediately fog up how do you acclimate it and that is let it come up slowly and i'm i'm a big fan of that get get yourself some of those uh, industrial size garbage bags that you can fit your you can fit your whole camera bag in when you're done shooting take your batteries out take your cards out put them in your pocket put your camera and everything back in the bag put it in an industrial size garbage bag make sure to not put it somewhere where somebody's gonna think it's garbage right probably not a good idea and then bring it inside, let it warm up slowly, and then after uh, after a couple, uh, probably several hours, maybe maybe the next day if you can, uh, you can you can take care of that. That's pretty cool. That's right. that's definitely uh, that's definitely some some winter some winter stuff. With with film photography, there's not really much different there. Obviously, with let's say wet plate or tin types, you, you know the wet plate chemistry. I love being able to tell people, well, I'm sorry, I can't do your event in the middle of January because the the wet plate chemistry does not like being outside. Well, that's true, but the wet plate photographer doesn't like being outside in those temperatures either. So it's pretty easy to to blame the chemistry. So it's a lot of the chemistry you can't use. Um, when whenever we are doing an, an event in the winter that is outside, I've I've just got to make sure they they provide me with something that is warmed up, uh, especially for the dark box. You know, to to pour the chemistry on, to develop, to to do everything that I need, I need to do in a warmed warmed area, at least about fifty degrees or so, and then I can take I can put the put the plate in my plate holder i can take it out to the camera that is already weighted that christine is probably already focused on my subject and then i can make the exposure and go back in so that's that's completely okay and and just regular film film is going to be fine in fact a lot of film uh, film photographers they will take their film stocks and they will put them in the freezer anything that i'm using a little bit more of or i'm i'm not really entirely worried too much about it i'll put it in the large part of the film fridge and and that's that usually keeps it keeps it nice and uh, nice and good for you for when you're ready to shoot. Just make sure to let them warm up before you before you do your thing because the problem is is uh, you know you, you could have the same problems with uh, with the camera and condensation. So if you can keep it in that can, if you can't keep them in the can, put them in a put them in a Ziploc baggie and let them acclimate before you pull them out. Because if you pull out a if you pull out a, and pull that. 35 millimeter film leader over your camera camera sprockets that thing's gonna suck up water like nobody's business right Uh, i wanted to point out something and i'm gonna put this in the show notes as well let me write down here that i need to put in show notes show notes about the uh, the slit scan but i also wanted to bring up and i'm gonna put this in the show notes as well there's a a photography forum called photography on the net photography dash on dash the net and I remember seeing this this article a long long time ago and it was a a photographer that that photographed in Alaska and uh, and they were they were with uh, they were with the tribes uh, one of the Eskimo tribes in Alaska and talked about how they had to melt snow for months to obtain the necessary water to mix c41 chemistry and eventually developed 60 rolls of Veracolor Type S film, that was a ISO 100, and then melt more snow to make a Kodak EP2 or Ektaprint 2 11 by 14 images. So this, uh, I, I want to read the entire thread and kind of pick out what was done. And if I can't, if I can't answer some of the questions, I'm going to see if I can reach out to this person. But the person that goes by Magic Image. M-A-J-I-K-I-M-A-J-E, Magic Image. And this was 27 years ago. At Very least, cool. At least it was 27 years ago on the forum thread, which I think was five, six years ago. I don't know. It's been a while. And it's really interesting that that still in cold weather, probably, I mean, I 
I can't imagine that that they had living accommodations to the point where they were any warm, uh, at least in at least in relation to what this photographer is used to. But it's really interesting that even with with such such terrible conditions, they were able to actually make make work done. And uh, these images in this thread are just just breathtaking. So I definitely recommend checking out checking out this forum post. As I said, I'll leave it in the show notes, and uh, and and just just get that appreciation for these images that that has resonated with me for so many years. And I really need to, I don't know, maybe I need to print this print this page out or, or make a PDF of it in case it ever goes down. Because sometimes when you're when you're feeling like you don't want to you don't want to mix this chemistry up or you don't want to do this, or you don't want to do that. Uh, sometimes just saying, man, this, uh, this person developed 60 roles and, and made countless 11 by 14 images with snow. They had to melt for months to get there. There. It's amazing. That is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So check, check for that in the show notes and, and tell me what you think about that. Have any other, other thoughts, Christine? Just go out and shoot no matter the weather and keep warm take care of yourself yeah absolutely and your gear and, and your gear you're more important but well i don't if know if you want your that. gear to last you need to take care of it too whenever i tell christine if i fall off this cliff what do you have to catch the camera exactly <laughs> and you know if i'm going to listen to you yeah probably not i'm going to save you first i'm sorry hey <laughs> Cameras can be replaced. You can't. I always say if, if when, because Christine always tells me that, I, that she doesn't want me messing with daguerreotypes, at least the traditional mercury fumed daguerreotypes. And I've always figured that when she's done with the marriage, she will probably tell me, John, you know what you really should start looking into? Making <laughs> daguerreotypes. You're never oh, well, going to hear that. Hopefully life insurance is paid up. But anyway, what are, what are some of your thoughts on, on cold water necessities? Uh, do you have any stories on photographing out in the winter? Any tips for photographing out in the winter? We definitely want to hear from you, and we hope you connect with us on our Facebook group or through email at podcast at underredglow.com. As always, your comments just make, make it into a future episode. As always, a big thank you to everyone for continuing to join us with all the love and support we've received from people liking us on Facebook, subscribing and rating us on your podcast platform of choice, and also a big thank you to our Patreon and subscription supporters. Starting at just a buck, you get our day, our shows early with our supporters only after show, all without ads. Be sure to check out our other supporter tiers as well, which are geared towards bringing you along on our darkroom projects with great rewards. All of our links can be found in our show notes and on www.underredglow.com. And now with episode 27 down, it's been our absolute pleasure spending this time with you. Please be sure to subscribe to Under Red Glow. And if we've earned your recommendation to any other photographers or photography lovers of any skill level or process, we certainly would appreciate you sharing us with them. A big thank you to my co-host, Christine Milliker, and of course, everyone for listening. If you're listening to us on Patreon or on our supporter Facebook group, stay tuned for the after show. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to visiting with you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.